0: Welcome to Ethics in the Naval Warrior. I'm your host, Michael Sears, and today I am honored to have Rear Admiral Mike Manazer as my guest. Admiral Manazer is a Naval Academy graduate, a fighter pilot, the commanding officer of several Navy ships, including the nuclear carrier USS Nimitz. He has also commanded Carrier Strike Group 8, embarked on the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower. Admiral Manazza served as the Deputy Chief of Naval Operations for Warfare Systems, OpNav N9, on the staff of the Chief of Naval Operations. Today, he is the Vice President, Navy Systems at Boeing Incorporated. Mike, you know a thing or two about a lot of things. It's a pleasure to have you with us today, specifically to talk about Naval Unmanned Systems and Ethics. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Michael. It's great to be on with you. And uh, yeah, I think that's a great... I know I might know a lot of things, so I'm literally a millimeter deep and, and a mile wide, given my experience. But it's it's great to be on with you and talking about ethics and as it applies to unmanned systems and autonomy.
0: It's going to be a wonderful conversation. Let's, let's start with the first easy question. What is an unmanned system today?
1: Yeah, so an unmanned system is literally uh, something without a person in it. Um, there's a joke that unmanned systems are, are far from unmanned because of the amount of people it takes to support them. But in the, in the standard definition, both colloquially and and figuratively and formally, an unmanned system, it means there's not a human being in the platform, which is key when we talk about humans in the loop and on the loop.
0: Based on one of your final jobs in the Navy, you had a big say as to what the naval service looks like in terms of unmanned and where we're going with that on all domains right
1: yes um i did and 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 it's a it's a good framing question we have more unmanned systems in the air than we do in any other domain well except for space obviously uh you know satellites and things like that but mostly it's air let's let's stay in the in the air and below Um, the next uh where we have the most is under the surface and then and then the last which is most um, um scarce or most sparse is, is on the surface
0: so so tell me this are we talking 50 years out or are we talking five years out in terms of the proliferation of vehicles in any domain
1: oh i think proliferation of vehicles uh in any domain is is expanding at an exponential rate um, I think that, you know, having those vehicles um, in the air a lot, underwater, doing various uh, survey things and things like that, are, are going to continue to just uh, expand at an exponential rate. The question, uh, and it goes right to the ethics, is where is the human being in the operation of these systems? And that's when you get into on the loop and in the loop. Um, with, uh, with my rough definitions of on the loop means that the human is actually a node. Uh, in, and I think if we say loop, I think most people are thinking OODA loop, uh, observe, orient, decide, and act, the mm-hmm. simplistic circle from John Boyd uh, and his work in the 1970s. And when you say the loop, that literally the human has to do something like hit a permission button or say yes or say no. And, and an on the loop is somebody is a human that's monitoring the loop and just kind of watching to see that things by the machine are going the right way.
0: So if I remember right from my background, I'm the guy who's the uh I controlled the battle space from the back seat of a reconnaissance airplane. And when I see someone like you coming in, I wanna make sure that your wings are level and I can then clear you out on the target. So I'm kind of on the loop, but you're still the guy who's gonna pull the trigger, right? Yeah,
1: so let's let's. It's very interesting. So let's take your let's take your example. You're right. Let's let's take that JTAC example. And you are a joint tactical uh, air uh, coordinator, and you're on the ground. You have a radio, mm-hmm. and the airplane that you're making sure is wings level, rolling in. It's got the ordnance, all that kind of stuff. Let's say that's unmanned. Okay. So let's take the person inside that airplane out of the loop. So now you're looking at that airplane and you go, okay, wings level, good. And then you get, for some reason you have an abort call. And so you say on your radio, abort, or you hit a button or whatever the agreed upon in the loop kind of a guy is that, that a JTAC is in the loop. In other words, even a manned airplane can't drop without a JTAC's permission when you're, when you're under that kind of control. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you hit that, you say, no. You've got to trust, trust is a huge word in, in this in ethics and in autonomy, is you got to trust that machine is going to abort, it's a run, it's not going to release ordnance, and it's going to understand what to do next.
0: And how do I know that's going to happen?
1: Testing. You're going to have to, in, in benign environments, in the laboratory, um, in, um, in flight testing Um, you've got to have reps and sets, uh, that, that then we'll trust that when we hand it to the most junior joint tactical air coordinator, that, that when that junior guy does nothing but press the red button to say, no, that that machine will react in a certain way.
0: Mike, good conversation so far. Let's pick it up with the fifth generation fight. What about that?
1: In a fifth generation fight. What's really gonna be uh, a game changer is this idea of manned, unmanned teaming. So we talked in the first portion about human in the loop and on the loop. So imagine, imagine this scenario. I take off from an aircraft carrier in either the back of an E-2, uh, I'm in the back seat of a E-18G Growler, I'm in the front seat of a Joint Strike Fighter, or I'm in the back seat of a Super Hornet or the, fr- uh, the front seat of a Super Hornet E-model. Right behind me, three unmanned Boeing-made MQ-25s take off, mm-hmm. and they take off on a profile. There's, uh, they they have a they have a, just a go go to this this rendezvous point and wait for instructions. And there, those three instructions are to join on me. And displayed on my displays, I've got um, human vehicle interface cues for each of these unmanned wingmen. And let's say one of them is a sensor has a bunch of passive stuff on another one is just wall to wall AMRAMs, medium range missiles. He's got he's got ten across all his wings. And let's say the other guy has a mix of weapons and sensors and those three guys join on me and we press outbound from the carrier towards our either operating area or, or our target. I now have a single person in charge of four aircraft Across And if you spread in, into an offensive combat spread, let's say everybody's split by 25 miles. You've got a single person with 100 miles of battlefront. The challenge will be to put into the cockpit an interface that that single person can can interpret all the information coming in so all of the tracks that the three unmanned and his own weapon system show him will be fused so in other words any kind of sensor looking at a track will all fuse together and say this is what this is out here it'll be triangulated by his unmanned thing and he'd say okay we have positive id we know what the thing is we know what it's doing based on all of our sensors what would you like to do pilot and a pilot would hit a command that says monitor or you might say look for this other aspect of hostile act or hostile intent. So part of the ethics on the battlefield that goes, whether you have a rifle in your hand on the ground or you've got an airplane uh, full of missiles looking at another airplane is to determine hostile intent. A human looks at hostile intent. Let's make it simple from an ethics perspective. I'm looking through my scope and my M4 downrange and I see a woman with a baby. It's a woman with a baby. There's nothing magic about it. She's doing her business. She's not hostile. I look through the same scope a few feet to the right, and I see what I know to be a terrorist with a weapon, and he's pointing it right at me. The hostile intent is kind of obvious there. In the air, there are other things that can be features of hostile intent. So you look at an airplane, at hostile intent, hmm, he's got weapons on it. And then via the sensors, let's say that that airplane all of a sudden shoots a missile in our direction. That's a hostile act. Okay, so the unmanned thing says, hey, pilot, what do you want us to do? Shoot him down. Enter. And so then the missile would go. And so you see in that small vignette with a comparison of of our, our rules of engagement that the human pilot in that airplane is acting in concert with his unmanned platform. In this manned unmanned teaming scenario, you have a human that's on the loop in fifth generation warfare. And actually he's in the loop too. So he's on the loop for the airplanes that are just flying doing their thing. He's in the loop when they ask him for a decision. So in fifth generation warfare, moving forward in the foreseeable future, you're going to have a person who is making those decisions to engage. And that's where the ethics part comes in.
0: So we've got many more years, some say many more generations to make sure that since we have a human in the loop, that human has to have some basis of ethical or moral training to understand what his or her job and role really is.
1: I agree with that fundamentally. And I think what the Naval Academy teaches is fundamentally good now. I will also tell you that the formal training when you're in the the fleet, in the Navy, in the Marine Corps, actually in all of the U.S. services, you are taught very specific rules of engagement. They take the moral decision-making out of your hands. The rules of engagement are very clear on what you can engage, and in some cases, for protection of your force, what you should engage
0: very well said Uh, we're gonna have to wrap it up at this point i think what i'm hearing you say is the time to start understanding who you are and what you want to be the time to study ethics and morals and virtue are not when you're climbing into the aircraft they start right now
1: oh i totally agree i think there's like anything that we that we do in life you, you start from a foundation and you and you have to build that foundation and i think what the naval academy does is build a foundation of ethics so that you understand from what you are deviating or from what you are are making your decision trees based on and then everything after that's going to build on that it's also going to be shaped by your my your increasing level of maturity through training through learning through reading and through experience um, uh, both in, in military experience and then in life experience, that's also going to shape how you make your ethical decisions. Uh, it might even be that, that a decision that you make that didn't go well for you shapes the way, well, it will be, it will shape the way you react in the future. Um, we've all seen many, many movies and stories of people who, because they made a mistake in their previous life and they and they thought through that and they regret that that situation that happened the next time they are faced with a situation just like that they're going to hesitate and that could mean in the military vernacular community between life and death right there because they're not reacting right away so yes sir foundational training based on life experience and maturity and then and then these other types of technical aspects are going to build the ethical foundation for a warrior to be able to operate in this kind of uh, fifth-generation fight.
0: We're going to have a lot of other things to talk about, Mike. I do appreciate the time spent today. Thank you very much. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to Ethics in the Naval Warrior, produced by the Boeing Leadership Innovation Lab at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. You can find more of our podcasts by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu